I think I'm confused too. Who knows what's going on? All right. So, barring the uh, the confusion that we're enduring right now, uh, last week on Sidecar Stories, we had a chance to get back to Hogwarts. It's a breath of relief. It's a breath of, of uh, some fresh air after being stuffed up in the Dursley house and then stuffed up in the old black family home. Except everything's not quite how it should be at Hogwarts either. Hagrid is nowhere to be seen. This is, you know, immediately disturbing to people. You know, they're wondering, you know, could he have gotten hurt on business related to the Order of the Phoenix? Is it possible that he, uh, he might still be on a mission for Dumbledore? But one thing's for sure, he is not around right now. But they're concerned about this. Rightfully so. Um... Secondly, there's a, a person here they were hoping not to have to deal with. They certainly weren't expecting to deal with her. Uh, Dolores Umbridge, who it appears will be taking over the position of um, Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. Now, Hermione sees through, her, uh, through Umbridge's initial speech to the school for for kind of what this really is, and it would seem that the Ministry of Magic is meddling in Hogwarts affairs. They're meddling with Dumbledore, and they're meddling uh, in the education at Hogwarts. Doesn't seem right. Something, uh... They, she's talking a lot about, um... You know, making changes where changes are necessary, but not, not uh... You know, rejecting how things have always been done. It all sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook to Ron and Harry, but Hermione uh, seems pretty concerned about what Umbridge's presence at Hogwarts uh, will will mean for the school. Um, I think that is most of what we saw, but essentially, um, just on top of the, the, the now ramped up uh, criticism on Harry, you know, other students are whispering about him in the halls, um, they seem there seems to be even more of a rift now about Harry because people's parents are talking about him too now that the Daily Prophet is printing these false articles about him. It's uh, an uncomfortable time to be Harry Potter right now. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to get started on the chapter now, but I really appreciate y'all and I uh, appreciate y'all sticking with it as the, the stream goes. I mean... It's it's our very own thing. Hashtag scream go wonky. I don't I don't remember who coined that one, but uh, there we go. Let's get started, shall we? Chapter twelve. Professor Umbridge. Seamus dressed at top speed next morning and left the dormitory before Harry had even put on his socks. Does he think he'll turn into a nutter if he stays in a room with me for too long? Asked Harry loudly, as the hem of Seamus' robes whipped out of sight. <sighs> Don't worry about it, Harry, Dean muttered, hoisting his school bag onto his shoulder. He's just... But apparently he was unable to say exactly what Seamus was, and after an awkward pause, followed him out of the room. Neville and Ron both gave Harry an it's-his-problem-not-yours look, but Harry was not much consoled. How much more of this would he have to take? 
What's the matter? asked Hermione five minutes later, catching up with Harry and Ron halfway across the common room as they all headed toward breakfast. You look absolutely... Oh, for heaven's sake! She was staring at the common room notice board where a new large sign had been put up. Gallons of Galleons. Pocket money failing to keep pace with your outgoings? Like to earn a little extra gold? Contact Fred and George Weasley, Gryffindor Common Room, for simple, part-time, virtually painless jobs. We regret that all work is undertaken at the applicant's own risk. Oh, they are the limit, said Hermione grimly, taking down the sign which Fred and George had pinned up over a poster giving the date of the first Hogsmeade weekend in October. We are going to have to talk to them, Ron. Ron looked positively alarmed. Why? Because we are prefects, said Hermione, as they climbed out through the portrait hole. It's up to us to stop this kind of thing. Ron said nothing. Harry could tell from his glum expression that the prospect of stopping Fred and George doing exactly what they liked was not one that he found inviting. Anyway, what's up, Harry? Hermione continued as they walked down a flight of stairs lined with portraits of old witches and wizards, all of whom ignored them, being engrossed in their own conversation. You look really angry about something. Seamus reckons that Harry's lying about you-know-who, said Ron succinctly, when Harry did not respond. Hermione, who Harry had expected to react angrily on his behalf, sighed. <sighs> yes, Lavender thinks so too, she said gloomily. Been having a nice little chat with her about whether or not I'm lying. An attention-seeking prat, have you? said Harry loudly. No, said Hermione calmly. I told her to keep her big fat mouth shut about you, actually. And it would be nice if you stopped jumping down our throats, Harry, because in case you hadn't noticed, Ron and I are on your side. There was a short pause. I'm sorry, said Harry in a low voice. It's quite all right, said Hermione with dignity. Then she shook her head. Don't you remember what Dumbledore said at the last end-of-term feast? Harry and Ron both looked at her blankly, and Hermione sighed again. About you-know-who. He said his gift for spreading discord and enmity is very great. We can only fight it by showing an equally strong bond of friendship and trust. How do you remember stuff like that? asked Ron, looking at her in admiration. I listen, Ron, said Hermione with a touch of asperity. So do I, but I still couldn't tell you exactly what... The point... Hermione pressed on loudly, is that this sort of thing is exactly what Dumbledore is talking about. You know who's only been back two months, and we've already started fighting amongst ourselves. And the Sorting Hat's warning was the same. Stand together. Be united. And Harry's got... And Harry got it right last night, retorted Ron. If it means we're supposed to get matey with the Slytherins. Fat chance. Well, I think it's a pity we're not trying for a bit of inter-house unity said Hermione crossly. They had reached the foot of the marble staircase. A line of fourth-year Ravenclaws was crossing the entrance hall. They caught sight of Harry and hurried to form a tighter group, as though frightened he might attract stragglers. Oh, he might attack stragglers. Yeah, we really ought to be trying to make friends with people like that, said Harry sarcastically. They followed the Ravenclaws into the Great Hall, all looking instinctively at the staff table as they entered. 
Professor Grubbly Plank was chatting with Professor Sinistra, the astronomy teacher, and Hagrid was once again conspicuous only by his absence. The enchanted ceiling above them echoed Harry's mood. It was a miserable rain-cloud gray. Dumbledore didn't even mention how long that grubbly plank woman is staying, he said, as they made their way across the, to the Gryffindor table. Maybe, said Hermione thoughtfully. What, said both Harry and Ron together. Well, maybe he didn't want to draw attention to Hagrid not being here. <laughs> what do you mean, draw attention to it? said Ron, half laughing. How could we not notice? Before Hermione could answer, before Hermione could answer, a tall black girl with long braided hair had marched up to Harry. Hi, Angelina. Hey, she said briskly. Good summer. And without waiting for an answer, listen, I've been made a Gryffindor Quidditch captain. Nice one, said Harry, grinning at her. He suspected Angelina's pep talks might not be as long-winded as Oliver Woods had been, which could only be an improvement. Yeah, well... We need a new keeper now that Oliver's left. Tryouts are on Friday the fifth. Tryouts are on Friday at five o'clock. I want the old team now, all right? Then we can see how the new personnel fit in. Okay, said Harry. Angelina smiled at him and departed. I'd forgotten that Wood had left, said Hermione vaguely as she sat down beside Ron and pulled a plate of toast toward her. I suppose that will make quite a difference to the team. I suppose, said Harry, taking the bench opposite. He was a good keeper. Still, wouldn't hurt to have some new blood in, will it? said Ron. With a whoosh and a clatter, hundreds of owls came soaring in through the upper windows. They descended all over the great hall, bringing letters and packages to their owners and showering the breakfasters with droplets of water. It was clearly raining hard outside. Hedwig was nowhere to be seen, but Harry was hardly surprised. His only correspondent was Sirius, and he doubted Sirius would have anything new to tell him after only twenty-four hours apart. Hermione, however, had to move her orange juice aside quickly to make room for a large, damp barn owl, bearing a sodden daily profit in its beak. "'What are you still getting that for?' said Harry irritably, thinking of Seamus as Hermione placed a nut in the mother pouch on the owl's leg, and it took off again. I'm not bothering. Load of rubbish. It's best to know what the enemy is saying, said Hermione darkly, and she unfurled the newspaper and disappeared behind it, not emerging until Harry and Ron had finished eating. Nothing, she said simply, rolling up the newspaper and lying it down by her plate. Nothing about you or Dumbledore or anything. Professor McGonagall was now moving among the tables, handing out schedules. Oh, look at today, groaned Ron. History of magic, double potions, divination, and double defense against the dark arts. Bins, Snape, Trelawney, and that Umbridge woman all in one day. I wish Fred and George would hurry up and get those skyving snack boxes sorted. Oh, do mine ears deceive me? said Fred along with George, arriving with George and squeezing onto the bench beside Harry. Hogwarts Prefix surely don't want to skive off lessons. Look at what we've got today, said Ron grumpily, shoving his timetable under Fred's nose. That's the worst Monday I've ever seen. Fair point, little bro, said Fred, 
scanning the column. You can have a bit of nosebleed nougat cheap if you like. Mmm, why is it cheap? said Ron suspiciously. Because you'll keep bleeding till you shrivel up. We haven't got an antidote yet, said George, helping himself to a kipper. Cheers, said Ron moodily, pocketing his timetable. But I think I'll take the lesson. And speaking of your skiving snack boxes, said Hermione, eyeing Fred and George beadily, you can't advertise... You can't advertise for testers in the Gryffindor notice board. Mmm, says who? said George, looking astonished. Says me, said Hermione, and Ron. Mmm, leave me out of it, said Ron hastily. Hermione glared at him. Fred and George sniggered. You'll be singing a different tune soon enough, Hermione, said Fred, thickly buttering a crumpet. You'll start in your fifth year. You'll be begging us for a snack box before long. Would starting fifth year mean I want a skiving snack box? asked Hermione. Fifth year is owl year, said George. So? So you've got your exams coming up, haven't you? They'll be keeping your noses so hard at the grindstone they'll be rubbed raw, said Fred with satisfaction. Half our year had major breakdowns coming up to OWLs said George happily. Tears and tantrums. Patricia Stimson kept coming over faint. <laughs> Kenneth Towler came out in boils, do you remember? said Fred reminiscently. That's because you put Bulbadox powder in his pyjamas, said George. Oh yeah, said Fred, grinning. I'd forgotten. It's hard to keep track sometimes, isn't it? Anyway, it's a nightmare of a year, the fifth, said George. If you cared about exam results anyway. Fred and I managed to keep our spirits up somehow. Yeah, you got, what was it, three owls each, said Ron. <laughs> yep, said Fred unconcernedly. But we feel our futures lie outside the world of academic achievement. We seriously debated whether or not we were going to bother coming back for our seventh year, said George brightly. Now that we've got... He broke off. At a warning look from Harry, who knew that George had been about to mention the Triwizard winnings he had given them. Now that we've got our owls, George said hastily, I mean, do we really need any WTs? But we didn't think Mum would take to us leaving school early. Not on top of Percy turning out to be the world's biggest prat. We're not going to waste our We're not going to waste our last year here though said Fred, looking affectionately around at the Great Hall. We're going to use it to do a bit of market research. Find out exactly what the average Hogwarts student requires from a joke shop. Carefully evaluate the results of our research and then produce products to fit the demand. But where are you going to get the gold to start a joke, joke shop? Hermione said sceptically. You're going to need all the ingredients and materials and premises too, I suppose. Harry did not look at the twins. His face felt hot. He deliberately dropped his fork and dived down to retrieve it. He heard Fred say overhead, Ask us no questions and we'll tell you no lies, Hermione. Come on, George. If we get there early, we might be able to sell a few extendable ears before herbology. Harry emerged from under the table to see Fred and George walking away, each carrying a stack of toast. <clears throat> what did that mean? asked Hermione, looking from Harry to Ron. 
ask us no questions? Does that mean they've already got gold to start a joke shop? You know, I've been wondering about that, said Ron, his brow furrowed. They bought me a new set of dress robes this summer and I couldn't understand where they got the galleons. Harry decided it was time to steer the conversation out of these dangerous waters. Do you reckon it's true that this year's really going to be tough? Because of the exams? Oh, yeah, said Ron. Pound to be, isn't it? OWLs are really important. They affect the jobs that you can apply for and everything. We get career advice too, later this year, Bill told me. So you can choose what any WTs you want to do next year. Do you know what you want to do after Hogwarts? Harry asked the other two as they left the Great Hall shortly afterward and set off toward their History of Magic classroom. Uh, not really, said Ron slowly. Except, well, he looked slightly sheepish. What? Harry urged him. Well, it, it would be cool to be an aura, said Ron in an offhand voice. Yeah, it would, said Harry fervently. But they're like the elite, said Ron. you got to be really good. What about you, Hermione? I don't know, she said. I think I'd like to do something really worthwhile. An aura is worthwhile, said Harry. Yes, it is, but it's not the only worthwhile thing, said Hermione thoughtfully. I mean, if I could take SPEW further... Harry and Ron carefully avoided looking at one another. History of Magic was, by common consent, the most boring subject ever devised by wizard kind. Professor Binns, their ghost teacher, had a wheezy, droning voice that was almost guaranteed to cause severe drowsiness within ten minutes, five in warm weather. He never varied the form of their lessons, but lectured them without pausing while they took notes, or rather gazed sleepily into space. Perry and Ron had so far managed to scrape passes in this subject only by copying Hermione's notes before the exams. She alone seemed to be able to resist the soporific power of Binz's voice. Today they suffered an hour and a half's droning on the subject of giant wars. Harry heard just enough within the first ten minutes to appreciate dimly that in another teacher's hands this subject might have been mildly interesting. But then his brain disengaged, and he spent the remaining hour and twenty minutes playing hangman on a corner of his parchment with Ron. Hermione shot them filthy looks out of the corner of her eye. How would it be? she asked him coldly as they left the classroom for break, bins drifting away through the blackboard. If I refuse to lend you my notes this year. We would fail our OWLs, said Ron. If you want that on your conscience, Hermione. Well, you would deserve it, she snapped. You don't even try to listen, do you? We do try, said Ron. We just haven't got your brains or your memory or your concentration. You're just cleverer than we are. Is it nice to rub it in? Oh, don't give me that rubbish, she said. But she looked slightly mollified as she led the way out into the damp courtyard. A fine, misty drizzle was falling, so that the people standing in huddles around the edges of the yard looked blurred at the edges. Harry, Ron, and Hermione chose a secluded corner under a heavily dripping balcony, turning up the collars of their robes against the chilly September air 
and talking about what Snape was likely to set them in their first lesson of the year. They'd got as far as agreeing that was it was likely to be something extremely difficult just to catch them off guard after a two-month holiday when someone walked around the corner toward them. Hello, Harry. It was Cho Chang, and what was more, she was on her own again. This was most unusual. Cho was almost always surrounded by a gang of giggling girls. Harry remembered the agony of trying to get her by herself to ask her to the Yule Ball. Hi, said Harry, feeling his face grow hot. At least you're not covered in stink sap this time, he told himself. Cho seemed to be thinking along the same lines. You got that stuff off, then? Yeah, said Harry, trying to grin as though the memory of their last meeting was funny as opposed to mortifying. So, did you uh, have a good summer? The moment he said this, he wished he hadn't. Cedric had been Cho's boyfriend, and the memory of his death must have affected her holiday almost as badly as it had affected Harry's. Something seemed to tauten in her face, but she said, Oh, it was all right, you know. Is that a tornado's badge? Ron demanded suddenly, pointing to the front of Cho's robes where a sky-blue badge, emblazoned with a double T, was pinned. You don't support them, do you? Yes, I do, said Cho. Have you always supported them, or just since they started winning the league? Said Ron, in what Harry considered to be an unnecessarily accusatory tone of voice. I supported them since I was six, said Cho coolly. Anyway, see you, Harry. She walked away. Hermione waited until Cho was halfway across the courtyard before rounding on Ron. You're so tactless. What? I only asked her if... Couldn't you see she wanted to talk to Harry on her own? So? She could have done. I wasn't stopping. Why on earth were you attacking her about her Quidditch team? Attacking? I wasn't attacking her. I was only... Who cares if she supports the Tornadoes? Oh, come on, half the people you see wearing those badges only bought them last season. But that doesn't matter. It means they're not real fans, they're just jumping on the bandwagon. That's the bell, said Harry dully, because Ron and Hermione were bickering too loudly to hear it. They did not stop arguing all the way down to Snape's dungeon, which gave Harry plenty of time to reflect that between Neville and Ron... He would be lucky to ever get in two minutes of conversation with Cho that he could look back on without wanting to leave the country. And yet, Harry thought, as they joined the queue lining up outside Snape's classroom door, she had chosen to come and talk to him, hadn't she? She had been Cedric's girlfriend. She could have easily hated Harry for coming out of the Triwizard Maze alive when Cedric had died. Yet she was talking to him in a perfectly friendly way. Not as though she thought him mad, or a liar, or in some horrible way responsible for Cedric's death. Yes, she had definitely chosen to come and talk to him. And that made the second time in two days. And at this thought, Harry's spirits rose. Even the ominous sound of Snape's dungeon door creaking open did not puncture the small, hopeful bubble that seemed to have swelled in his chest. He filed into the classroom behind Ron and Hermione and followed them to their usual table at the back where he sat down between Ron and Hermione and ignored the huffy, irritable noises now issuing from both of them. Settle down, 
said Snape coldly, shutting the door behind him. There was no real need to call for order. The moment the class had heard the door close, quiet had fallen and all fidgeting stopped. Snape's mere presence was usually enough to ensure a class's silence. Before we begin today's lesson, said Snape, sweeping over to his desk and staring around at them all, I think it appropriate to remind you that the next June you'll be sitting in an important examination, during which you'll prove how much you have learned about the composition and use of magical potions. Moronic, though some of this class undoubtedly are, I expect you to scrape an acceptable in your OWL, or suffer my displeasure. His gaze lingered this time on Neville, who gulped. After this year, of course, many of you will cease studying with me, Snape went on. I take only the very best into my N.E.W.T. potions class, which means that some of us will certainly be saying goodbye. His eyes rested on Harry and his lip curled. Harry glared back feeling a grim pleasure at the idea that he was going to be able to give up potions after fifth year. But we have another year to go before that happy moment of farewell, said Snape softly. So, whether or not you are intending to attempt N.E.W.T., I advise you all to concentrate your efforts on maintaining the high pass level I have come to expect from my O.W.L. students. Today we'll be mixing. Today we will be mixing a potion that often comes up at ordinary wizarding level, the Draught of Peace, a potion to calm anxiety and soothe agitation. Be warned: if you are too heavy-handed with the ingredients, you will put the drinker into a heavy and sometimes irreversible sleep. So you will need to pay close attention to what you are doing. On Harry's left, Hermione sat up a little straighter her expression one of utmost attention. The ingredients and the method, Snape flicked his wand out on the blackboard. They appeared there. You will find everything you need, he flicked his wand again, in the store cupboard. The door of said cupboard sprang open. You have an hour and a half. Start. Just as Harry, Ron, and Hermione had predicted, Snape could hardly have set a more difficult, fiddly potion. The ingredients had to be added to the cauldron in precisely the right order and quantities. The mixture had to be stirred exactly the right number of times. Firstly in clockwise, then in anti-clockwise directions. The heat of the flames on which was simmering had to be lowered to exactly the right level for a specific number of minutes before the final ingredient was added. A light silver vapor should now be rising from your potion, called Snape, within ten minutes left to go. Harry, who was sweating profusely, looked desperately around the dungeon. His own cauldron was issuing copious amounts of dark gray steam. Ron's was spitting green sparks. Seamus was feverishly prodding the flames at the base of his cauldron with the tip of his wand, as they seemed to be going out. The surface of Hermione's potion, however, was a shimmering mist of silver vapor, and as Snape swept by, he looked down his hooked nose at it without comment, which meant... He could find nothing to criticize. At Harry's cauldron, however, Snape stopped and looked down at it with a horrible smirk on his face. Potter, what is this supposed to be? The Slytherins at the front of the hall all looked up eagerly. 
They loved hearing Snape taunt Harry. The draught of peace, said Harry tensely. Tell me, Potter, said Snape softly. Can you read? Draco Malfoy laughed. Yes, I can, said Harry, his fingers clenched tightly around his wand. Read the third line of the instructions for me, Potter. Harry squinted at the blackboard. It was not easy to make out the instructions through the haze of multicolored steam now filling the dungeon. Add powdered moonstone, stir three times counterclockwise, allow to simmer for seven minutes, and then add two drops of syrup of hellborn. His heart sank. He had not added syrup of hellebore, but had proceeded straight to the fourth, li fourth line of the instructions after allowing his potion to simmer for seven minutes. Did you do everything on the third line, Potter? No, said Harry very quietly. I beg your pardon? No, said Harry, more loudly. I forgot the hellebore. I know you did, Potter, which means that this mess is utterly worthless. Evanesco! The contents of Harry's potion vanished. He was left standing foolishly beside an empty cauldron. Those of you who managed to read the instructions, fill one flagon with a sample of your potion, label it clearly with your name, and bring it up to my desk for testing, said Snape. Homework, twelve-inch parchment on the properties of Moonstone and its uses in potion-making to be handed in on Thursday. While everyone around him filled their flagons, Harry cleared away his things, seething. His potion had been no worse than Ron's, which was now giving off a foul odor of bad eggs, or Neville's, which had achieved the consistency of just mixed cement, which Neville was now having to gouge out of his cauldron. Yet it was he, Harry, who would be receiving zero marks for that day's work. He stuffed his wand back into his bag and slumped down into his seat, watching everyone else march up to Snape, watching everyone else march up to Snape's desk and fill and cork their flagons. Then at long last the bell rang, and Harry was the first out of the dungeon and had already started his lunch by the time Ron and Hermione joined him in the Great Hall. The ceiling had turned an even murkier gray during the morning. Rain was lashing the high windows. That was really unfair, said Hermione consolingly, sitting down next to Harry and helping herself to shepherd's pie. Your potion wasn't nearly as bad as Goyle's. When he put it in his flag and the whole thing shattered and set his robes on fire. <sighs> yeah, well, said Harry, glowering at his plate. Since when has Snape ever been fair to me? Neither of the others answered. All three of them knew that Snape and Harry had been mutual enemies since the absolute first moment Harry had set foot in Hogwarts. I did think he would be a bit better this year, said Hermione in a disappointed voice. I mean, you know... She looked around carefully. There were a half-dozen empty seats on either side of them, and nobody was passing the table. Now that he's in the order and everything. Poisonous toadstools don't change their spots, said Ron savagely. Anyway, I've always thought Dumbledore was cracked trusting Snape. 
Where's the evidence that he actually really stopped working for you-know-who? I think Dumbledore's probably got plenty of evidence, even if he doesn't share it with you, Ron, snapped Hermione. Oh, shut up, the pair of you, said Harry heavily, as Ron opened his mouth to argue back. Ron and Hermione both froze, looking angry and offended. Can't you give it a rest, said Harry. You're always having a go at each other. It's driving me mad. And abandoning his shepherd's pie, he swung his school bag back over his shoulder and left them sitting there. He walked up the marble staircase two steps at a time, past the many students hurrying toward lunch. The anger that had just flared so unexpectedly still blazed inside him, and the vision of Ron and Hermione's shocked faces afforded him a deep sense of satisfaction. Serve them right, he thought. Why couldn't they give it a rest? Bickering all the time, it was enough to drive anyone up the wall. He passed the large picture of Sir Cadogan the knight on a landing. Sir Cadogan drew his sword and brandished it fiercely at Harry, who ignored him. Come back, you scurvy dog! Stand fast and fight! yelled Sir Cadogan in a muffled voice from behind his visor. But Harry merely walked on, and when Sir Cadogan attempted to follow him by running into a neighboring picture, he was rebuffed by its inhabitant, a large and angry-looking wolfhound. Harry spent the rest of the lunch hour sitting alone underneath the trapdoor at the top of the North Tower. Consequently, he was the first to ascend the silver ladder that led to Sybil Trelawney's classroom when the bell rang. After potions, divination was Harry's least favorite class, which was due mainly to Professor Trelawney's habit of predicting his premature death every few lessons. A thin woman, heavily draped in shawls and glittering with strings of beads, she always reminded Harry of some kind of insect, with her glasses hugely magnifying her eyes. She was busy putting copies of battered leather-bound books at each of the spindly little tables with which her room was littered when Harry entered the room. But the light cast by the lamps covered by scarves and the low-burning, sickly-scented fire was so dim, she appeared not to notice him as he took a seat in the shadows. The rest of the class arrived over the next five minutes. Ron emerged from the trapdoor, looked around carefully, spotted Harry, and made his way directly for him, or as directly as he could while having to wend his way between tables, chairs, and overstuffed poofs. Hermione and me have stopped arguing, he said, sitting down beside Harry. Good, grunted Harry. But Hermione says she thinks it would be nice if you stopped taking out your temper on us, said Ron. I'm not. I'm just passing on the message, said Ron, taking over for him. Oh, talking over him. But I reckon she's right. It's not our fault how Seamus and Snape have treated you. I never said that it... Good day said Professor Trelawney in her usual misty, dreamy voice, and Harry broke off, again feeling both annoyed and slightly ashamed of himself. And welcome back to divination. I have, of course, been following your fortunes most carefully over the holidays, and I am delighted to see that you have all returned to Hogwarts safely, as of course I knew that you would. You will find on the tables before you copies of The Dream Oracle by Inigo Imago. Dream interpretation is a most important means of divining the future, and one that may very probably be tested in your OWL. 
Now, of course, that I believe examination passes or failures are of remotest importance when it... Oh, excuse me. Not, of course, that I believe that examination passes or failures are one of are of the remotest importance when it comes to the sacred art of divination. If you have the seeing eye, certificates and grades matter very little. However, the headmaster likes you to sit the examination, so... Her voice trailed away delicately, leaving them all in no doubt that Professor Trelawney considered her subjects above such sordid matters as examinations. Turn, please, to the introduction and read what Imago has to say on the matter of dream interpretations. Then divide into pairs. Use the dream oracle to interpret each other's most recent dreams. Carry on. The one good thing to be said for this lesson was that it was not a double period. By the time they had all finished reading the introduction of the book, they barely had ten minutes left for dream interpretation. At the table next to Harry and Ron, Dean had paired up with Neville, who immediately embarked on a long-winded explanation of a nightmare involving a pair of giant scissors wearing his grandmother's best hat. Harry and Ron merely looked at each other glumly. <sighs> I never remember my dreams, said Ron. You say one. You must remember one of them, said Harry impatiently. He was not about to share his dreams with anyone. He knew perfectly well that his regular nightmare about a what his regular nightmare about a graveyard meant. He did not need Ron or Professor Trelawney or the stupid dream oracle to tell him. Well, I dreamed I was playing Quidditch the other night, said Ron, screwing up his face in an effort to remember. What do you reckon that means? Probably that you're going to be eaten by a giant marshmallow or something, said Harry turning the pages of the Dream Oracle without interest. It was very dull work, looking up bits of dreams in the Oracle, and Harry was not cheered up when Professor Trelawney set them to the task of keeping a dream diary for a month as homework. When the bell went, he and Ron led the way back down the ladder, Ron grumbling loudly. Do you realize how much homework we've already got? Bin set us a foot and a half long essay on the giant walls. Snape wants a foot on the use of moonstones. Now we've got a month dream diary from Trelawney. Fred and George weren't wrong about OWL yeah, were they? That Umbridge woman better not, better not give us any. When they entered the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom, they found Professor Umbridge already seated at the teacher's desk, wearing the fluffy pink cardigan of the night before and the black velvet bow on the top of her head. Harry was again reminded forcibly of a large fly perched unwisely on top of an even larger toad. The class was quiet when it entered the room. Professor Umbridge was, as yet, an unknown quantity, and nobody knew how strict a disciplinarian she was likely to be. Well, good afternoon, she said, when finally the whole class had sat down. A few people muttered, Good afternoon, in reply. Mmm, said Professor Umbridge. That won't do now, will it? I would like you please to reply, Good afternoon, Professor Umbridge. 
One more time, please. Good afternoon, class. Good afternoon, Professor Umbridge. They chanted back at her. There now, said Professor Umbridge sweetly. That wasn't too difficult, was it? Wands away and quills out, please. Most of the class exchanged gloomy looks. The order, wands away, had never yet been followed by a lesson they had found interesting. Harry shoved his wand back inside his bag and pulled out quill, ink, and parchment. Professor Umbridge opened her handbag, extracted her own wand, which was an unusually short one, and tapped the blackboard sharply with it. Words appeared on the board at once. Defense against the dark arts. A return to basic principles. Well, now, your teaching in this subject has been rather disrupted and fragmented, hasn't it? Stated Professor Umbridge, turning to face the class with her hands clasped neatly in front of her. The constant changing of teachers, many of whom do not seem to have followed any ministry-approved curriculum, has unfortunately resulted in you being far below the standard that we would expect to see in your OWL year. You would be pleased to know, however, that these problems will now be rectified. We will be following a carefully structured, theory-centered, ministry-approved course of defensive magic for this year. Copy down the following, please. She rapped on the blackboard again. The first message vanished and was replaced by Course Aims. Number one, understanding the principles underlying defensive magic. Number two, learning to recognize situations in which defensive magic can legally be used. Number three, placing the use of defensive magic in a context for practical use. For a couple of minutes, the room was full of the sound of scratching quills on parchment. When everyone had copied down Professor Umbridge's three course aims, she asked, Has everyone got a copy of Defensive Magical Theory by Wilbert Slinkhard? There was a dull murmur of assent throughout the class. I think we'll try that again, said Professor Umbridge. When I ask you a question, I should like you to reply, Yes, Professor Umbridge, or No, Professor Umbridge. So, has everyone got a copy of Defensive Magical Theory by Wilbert Slinkhard? Yes, Professor Umbridge, rang throughout the room. Good, said Professor Umbridge. I should like you to turn to page 5 and read Chapter 1, Basics for Beginners. There will be no need to talk. Professor Umbridge left the blackboard and settled herself in the chair behind the teacher's desk, observing them all closely with those pouchy toad's eyes. Harry turned to page 5 of his copy of Defensive Magical Theory and started to read. It was desperately dull, quite as bad as listening to Professor Binns. He felt his concentration sliding away from him. He had soon read the same line half a dozen times without taking in more than the first few words. Several silent minutes passed. Next to him, Ron was absentmindedly turning his quill over and over in his fingers, staring at the same spot on the page. Harry looked right and received a surprise to shake him out of his stupor. Hermione had not even opened her copy of Defensive Magical Theory. She was staring fixedly at Professor Umbridge with her hand in the air. Harry could not remember Hermione ever neglecting to read when instructed to, or indeed resisting the temptation to open any book that came under her nose. He looked at her inquiringly. 
but she merely shook her head to indicate that she was not about to answer questions, and continued to stare at Professor Umbridge, who was now looking just as resolutely in another direction. After several more minutes had passed, however, Harry was not the only one watching Hermione. The chapter that they had been instructed to read was so tedious that more and more people were choosing to watch Hermione's mute attempt to catch Professor Umbridge's eye, rather than struggle with basics for beginners. When more than half the class were staring at Hermione rather than at their books, Professor Umbridge seemed to decide that she could no longer ignore the situation. Did you want to ask something about the chapter, dear? She asked Hermione as though she had only just noticed her. Not about the chapter, no, said Hermione. Well, we are reading just now, said, her, said Umbridge, showing her small pointed teeth. If you have any other queries, we can deal with them at the end of class. I've got a query about your course aims, said Hermione. Professor Umbridge raised her eyebrows. And your name is? Hermione Granger, said Hermione. Well, Miss Granger, I think that the course aims are perfectly clear if you read them through carefully, said, her, said Professor Umbridge in a voice of determined sweetness. Well, I don't, said Hermione bluntly. There's nothing up there written about using defensive spells. There was a short silence in which many members of the class turned their heads to frown at the three course aims still written on the blackboard. Using defensive spells? Professor Umbridge repeated with a little laugh. <laughs> Why? I, I can't imagine any situation arising in my classroom that would require you to use a defensive spell, Miss Granger. Surely you aren't expecting to be attacked during class. We're not going to use magic, Ron exclaimed loudly. Students raise their hands when they wish to speak in my class, Mr. Weasley, said Ron, thrusting his hand into the air. Professor Umbridge, smiling still more widely, turned her back on him. Harry and Hermione immediately raised their hands, too. Professor Umbridge's pouchy eyes lingered on Harry for a moment before she addressed Hermione. Yes, Miss Granger. You wanted to ask something else? Yes, said Hermione. Surely the whole point of Defense Against the Dark Arts is to practice defensive spells. Are you a ministry-trained educational expert, Miss Granger? Asked, Mrs. Uh, asked Professor Umbridge in her falsely sweet voice. No, but... Well, then I'm afraid you are not qualified to decide what is the whole point of any class. Wizards much older and cleverer than you have devised our new program of study, you will be learning the defensive spells in a secure, risk-free way. What use is that? said Harry loudly. If we're going to be attacked, it won't be in a hand, Mr. Potter, sang Professor Umbridge. Harry thrust his fist into the air. Again, Professor Umbridge promptly turned away from him, but now several other people had their hands in the air, too. And your name is? Professor Umbridge said to Dean. Dean Thomas. Well, Mr. Thomas. Well, it's like Harry said, isn't it? said Dean. If we're going to be attacked, it won't be risk-free. I repeat, said Professor Umbridge, smiling in a very irritating fashion at Dean. Do you expect to be attacked during my classes? No, but... Professor Umbridge talked over him. I do not wish to criticize the way that things have been run in this school, she said, an unconvincing smile stretching her mouth wide. But you have not been ex 
But you have been exposed to some very irresponsible wizards in this class. Very irresponsible indeed. Not to mention, she gave a nasty little laugh, extremely dangerous half-breeds. If you mean Professor Lupin, piped up Dean angrily, he was the best teacher that we ever... Hand, Mr. Thomas. As I was saying, you have been introduced to spells that have been complex, inappropriate for your age group, and potentially lethal. You have been frightened into believing that you are likely to meet dark attacks every other day. No, we haven't, Hermione said. We just... Your hand is not up, Miss Granger. Hermione put up her hand. Professor Umbridge turned away from her. It is my understanding that my predecessor not only performed illegal curses in front of you, he actually performed them on you. Well, he turned out to be a maniac, didn't he? Said Dean hotly. Mind you, we still learn loads. Your hand is not up, Mr. Thomas, trilled Professor Umbridge. Now, it is the view of the Ministry that a theoretical knowledge will be more than sufficient to get you through your examination, which, after all, is what school is all about. And your name is, she added, staring at Parvati, whose hand had just shot up. Parvati Patil, and isn't there a practical bit in our defense against the dark arts, OWL? Aren't we supposed to show that we can actually do countercurses and things? As long as you have studied the theory hard enough, there is no reason why you should not be able to perform the spells under carefully controlled examination conditions, said Professor Umbridge dismissively. Without ever practicing them beforehand? said Parvati incredulously. Are you telling us that the first time that we're going to do the spells will be during our examination? I repeat, as long as you have studied the theory hard enough, and what good is theory going to do out in the real world? said Harry loudly, his fist in the air again. Professor Umbridge looked up. This is school, Mr. Potter, not the real world, she said softly. So we're not supposed to be prepared for what's waiting for us out there. There is nothing waiting out there, Mr. Potter. Oh, yeah? said Harry. His temper, which seemed to have been bubbling just beneath the surface all day, was reaching a boiling point. Who do you imagine wants to attack children like yourselves? inquired Professor Umbridge in a horribly honeyed voice. Mm, oh, let's think, said Harry in a mock thoughtful tone. Maybe Lord Voldemort. Ron gasped. Hermione Brown, what? Lavender Brown uttered a little scream. Neville slipped sideways off his stool. Professor Umbridge, however, did not flinch. She was staring at Harry with a grimly satisfied expression on her face. Ten points from Gryffindor, Mr. Potter. The classroom was still and silent. Everyone was either staring at Umbridge or Harry. Now let me get a few things quite plain. Professor Umbridge stood up and leaned toward them, her stubby-fingered hands splayed on her desk. You have been told that a certain dark wizard has returned from the dead. He wasn't dead, said Harry angrily, but yeah, he's returned. Mr. Potter, you have already lost your house ten points. Do not make matters worse for yourself, said Professor Umbridge in one breath without looking at him, as I was saying. You have been informed that a certain dark wizard is at large once again. This is a lie. 
It is not a lie, said Harry. I saw him. I fought him. Detention, Mr. Potter, said Professor Umbridge triumphantly. Tomorrow evening, five o'clock, my office. I repeat, this is a lie. The Ministry of Magic guarantees that you are not in danger from any dark wizard. If you are still worried, by all means come and see me outside of class hours. If someone is alarming you with fibs about reborn dark wizards, I would like to hear about it. I am here to help. I am your friend. And now you will kindly continue your reading. Page 5. Basics for Beginners. Professor Umbridge sat down behind her desk. Harry, however, stood up. Everyone was staring at him. Seamus looked half scared, half fascinated. Harry, no! Hermione whispered in a warning voice, tugging at his sleeve, but Harry jerked his arm out of her reach. So, according to you, Cedric Diggory dropped dead of his own accord, did he? Harry asked, his voice shaking. There was a collective intake of breath from the class, for none of them, apart from Ron and Hermione, had ever heard Harry talk about what had happened on the night of Cedric's death. They stared avidly from Harry to Professor Umbridge, who had raised her eyes and was staring at him without a trace of a fake smile on her face. Cedric Diggory's death was a tragic accident, she said coldly. It was murder, said Harry. He could feel himself shaking. He had hardly spoken to anyone about this, least of all thirty eagerly listening classmates. Voldemort killed him and you know it! Professor Umbridge's face was quite blank. For a moment, Harry thought she was going to scream at him. Then she said in her softest, most sweetly girlish voice, Come here, Mr. Potter, dear. He kicked his chair aside, strode around Ron and Hermione and up to the teacher's desk. He could feel the rest of the class holding its breath. He felt so angry he did not care what happened next. Professor Umbridge pulled a small roll of pink parchment out of her handbag, stretched it out on her desk, dipped the quill in a bottle of ink, and started scribbling, hunched over so that Harry could not see what she was writing. Nobody spoke. After a minute or so, she rolled up the parchment and tapped it with her wand. It sealed itself seamlessly so that he could not open it. Take this to Professor McGonagall, dear said Professor Umbridge, holding out the note to him. He took it from her without saying a word, turned on his heel, and left the room, not even looking back at Ron and Hermione, slamming the classroom, slamming the classroom door shut behind him. He walked very fast along the corridor. The note to McGonagall clutched tight in his hand and turned a corner, walking slap into Peeves the poltergeist, a wide-mouthed little man floating in midair on his back, juggling several inkwells. "'Why, it's Putty-wee Potter!' cackled Peeves, allowing two of the inkwells to fall on the ground where they smashed and splattered the walls with ink. Harry jumped backward out of the way with a snarl. "'Get out of it, Peeves!' "'Ooh, crackpot's feeling cranky,' said Peeves, pursuing Harry along the corridor, leering as he zoomed along above him. "'What is it this time, my fine potty friend? Hearing voices?' Seeing visions, speaking in... Peeves blew a gigantic raspberry. Tongues! I said, leave me alone! Harry shouted. 
running down the nearest flight of stairs, but Peeves merely slid down the banister with his back alongside him. Oh, most think he's barking, the potty wee lad, but some are kindly and think he's just sad, but Peevesy knows better and says that he's mad. Shut up! The door to his left flew open and Professor McGonagall emerged from her office, looking grim and slightly harassed. What on earth are you shouting about, Potter? She snapped, as Peeves cackled gleefully and zoomed out of sight. Why aren't you in class? I've been sent to see you, said Harry stiffly. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Sent? What do you mean, sent? He held out the note from Professor Umbridge. Professor McGonagall took it from him, frowning, slid it open with the tap of her wand, stretched it out, and began to read. Her eyes zoomed from side to side behind her square spectacles as she read what Umbridge had written, and with each line they became narrower. Come in here, Potter. He followed her inside her study. The door closed automatically behind him. Well, said Professor McGonagall, rounding on him. Is this true? Is what true? Harry asked, sounding more aggressively than he had intended. Professor, he added in an attempt to sound more polite. Is it true that you shouted at Professor Umbridge? Yes, said Harry. You called her a liar? Yes. You told her that he who must not be named is back? Yes. Professor McGonagall sat down behind her desk, watching Harry closely. Then she said, Have a biscuit, Potter. Have... What? Have a biscuit, she repeated herself impatiently, indicating a tartan tin of cookies lying on top of one of the piles of papers on her desk. And sit down. There had been a previous occasion when Harry, expecting to be caned by Professor McGonagall, had instead been appointed to her had instead by, been appointed by her to the Gryffindor Quidditch team. He sank into a chair opposite her and helped himself to a ginger newt, feeling just as confused and wrong-footed as he had done on the first occasion. Professor McGonagall sat down with Professor Umbridge's note and looked very seriously at Harry. Potter, you need to be careful. Harry swallowed his mouth full of ginger newt and stared at her. Her tone of voice was not at all what he was used to. It was not crisp, brisk, and stern. It was low and anxious, and somehow much more human than usual. Misbehavior in Dolores Umbridge's class will cost you much more than house points and a detention. What do you— Potter, use your common sense! snapped Professor McGonagall with an abrupt return to her usual manner. You know where she comes from. You know to whom she is reporting. The bell rang for the end of the lesson. Overhead and all around came the elephantine sounds of hundreds of students on the move. It says here that she's given you detentions every evening this week, starting tomorrow, Professor McGonagall said, looking down at Professor Umbridge's note again. 
every evening this week? Harry repeated, horrified. But, Professor, couldn't you... No, I couldn't, said Professor McGonagall flatly. But she is your teacher and has every right to give you detention. You will go down to her room at five o'clock tomorrow for the first one. Just remember. Tread carefully around Dolores Umbridge. But I was telling the truth, said Harry, outraged. Voldemort is back, you know he is. Professor Dumbledore knows he is. For heaven's sake, Potter, said Professor McGonagall, straightening her glasses angrily. She had winced horribly when he had used Voldemort's name. Do you really think that this is about truth or lies? It's about keeping your head down and your temper under control. She stood up, nostrils wide and mouth very thin, and Harry stood up too. Have another biscuit, she said irritably, thrusting the tin at him. No thanks, said Harry coldly. Don't be ridiculous, she snapped. He took one. Thanks, he said grudgingly. Didn't you listen to Dolores Umbridge's speech at the start of the term feast, Potter? Yeah, said Harry. Yeah, she said progress will, progress will be prohibited or... Well, it meant that, and that the Ministry of Magic is trying to interfere at Hogwarts. Professor McGonagall eyed him closely for a moment, then sniffed, walked around her desk, and held the door open for him. Well, I'm glad you listened to Hermione Granger at any rate, she said, pointing him out of her office. And that is the end of the chapter. Back to the library. Dolores Jane Umbridge, Professor of Defense Against the Dark Arts and all-around bad news. Carrie says this conversation must be killing McGonagall. River, good night. I hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening. Okay, there are a lot of things that I want to talk about from chat tonight. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to them all. Um, I think, okay, so I think there are three big ones. We were talking about uh, um, healthcare earlier, and then I think we got into education, and then finally a, a third one that I want to talk about, um, truth dying in the dark. And uh, McGonagall's quote, do you really think this is about truth or lies? It's about keeping your head down and your temper under control. So the first one. Um... I'm, I'm hearing that a lot of you have been uh, dealing with a number of uh, different, different healthcare issues, whether it's you or somebody that you know. Uh, I want to offer some serious condolences to everyone, Jeff, Trish, um, everyone who's, who's, who's had someone important to them dealing with something like this, Brandon. Uh, I think, I think Jeff Miller's on the right track with this one. Jeff says, damn, time for Bernie Sanders. And I could not agree more. On a similar kind of note, we're dealing with, uh, some of this interference from, from, uh, Professor Umbridge. And... Uh, I think we could probably circle back to education in a bit, but uh, 
ultimately, the thing I'd most like to say is... This idea of... The timing and and how there there's a time in in this conversation it seems like McGonagall would say there's there's a time for truth but it's not now she says for heaven's sake potter do you really think this is about truth or lies it's about keeping your head down and your temper under control and we are at an interesting point in life aren't we the world is the world is an interesting point where I think that in favor of getting along, people have spent a long, long time uh, developing ways to not speak the truth. But uh, much like calls for for um, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and the things that he represents for uh, things like... Uh, Equalizing opportunity for people, demanding that uh, corporations no longer be treated like individuals and that they no longer get away with preposterous um, uh, vampirism on society. I think, I think we've gone a long time without saying true things like that. And uh, because of it, I think it has gone a little quiet. It's gone a little dark. So uh, I just want to encourage everyone, say it. Y'all have been great in chat so far. The things that I'm seeing, um, I think, uh, and and this isn't even that I agree with everything that everyone's saying, but say what you're going to say. Um, I think too often we're in a position nowadays where it could work and it, it could it could it could smooth out your life. It could make your life smoother to stay quiet about something, to not say anything, to not try and and uh, make sure that your voice is heard in the conversation, um, where it would be smoother, it would be, it would be easier to not vote, it would be less work to decide that uh, you're not going to educate yourself on, on uh, what things are happening in the world because uh, it's going to be you know too much work. This is not the time for it. And yeah, it sounds like Julia, we're, we're in a place where you and I don't agree on this, but uh, I'm glad you're saying it. And yeah, if you want, uh, if you want my, my honest opinion, yes, I think that uh, uh, healthcare being ruled by uh, groups of people who make way too much money on it, um, who treat it as a for-profit system, I think that um, <laughs> reducing the impact of that system would absolutely uh, be helpful. Absolutely. I think uh, we, we, we throw the name socialist around a lot. I, I, I think I see that, that idea thrown around a lot as a, a way to reduce the conversation to one word uh, that people can, can ignore. You know, if you, if you say, if you attach terrible, terrible things to uh, this word socialism, and then you call everything that you don't agree with or that you don't like socialism, then you can get people that might agree with you to just sort of tune it out. But if we're being honest, what we have in this country, we have socialized uh, protection from fire. We have socialized uh, law enforcement. We have socialized um, military force. We have so
social socialized aspects about many elements of our society and there is a a, a huge disagreement about it obviously but using <laughs> Uh, using essentially word association to discredit an entire idea of thought um, simply because it's not going to benefit the people at the top of the ladder. Uh, that doesn't work very well for me. I think at the heart of it, we are dealing with uh, a massive, a massive uh, <laughs> discrepancy in uh, wealth and power. And I think that we could say... We could say, and many people do, that uh, the thievery would be to to take money that the rich have earned and distribute it. Um, if you ask me, the thievery is the money that they took in the first place. It is the the forced reduction of value in uh, the uh, the the forced reduction of value of what the laborer brings to the economy. And uh, the inflation of the idea that uh, a CEO is genuinely working harder than the people that they preside over. And I think that is inarguably false. I think the, the fever is happening now. <laughs> and uh, it's not the thing that you're afraid of. But I hope that you'll continue to talk about it. I hope that all of you will. I hope that uh, if you have, uh, we're, I think we're at a point where we need to. We're in a state in the world right now where it, uh, it's, it's important that we are honestly communicating with each other about these things. Um, we are, we are, we're not in a position any longer where we can just sort of think that because we are in a good position. You know, I live in the United States. Um, it would be very easy for me to say, you know what, things are pretty good for me, uh, so I don't have to care. I don't have to get involved, I don't have to let my voice be heard, and I don't think any of us are in that position anymore, where we can genuinely afford that. So, talk about it. There will be umbrages, there will be McGonagall's, there will be, uh, there will be Dumbledore's, fortunately. Talk about it. Don't be silent for comfort's sake. Something I have to work on myself as well. Now, are we going to sort this out on a literary podcast? No. Is this a podcast? Honestly, not really. Don't know why I said that. Um, are we going to sort this out on a lit stream? Probably not so much. Um, but remember that the, the important thing isn't to solve the problem every time you have the conversation. It's to make sure that your voice is being heard. Keep the lights on so that we can all look at everything in true light. <laughs> I realize there's a can of worms open now. But uh, yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have this this philosophy, then I, I think I probably need to say it myself, don't I? I'm sure I've got plenty of opinions on this, but uh, overall the most important thing be vocal about it. All right. I don't have much more for tonight. We're only doing one chapter. Um, we are doing beans, however. <laughs> what, a, what a goofy way to, to uh, pull this conversation into a hard right turn. Um, 
I'm gonna need my faithful assistant. I'm gonna need my faithful assistant. Yep, it's you. Sorry, it's the only way that it's the only way that the green screens work. Okay, we're doing beans. <laughs> and uh, I'll 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 take that one. It was the first one that came out. Okay. First one that came out. All right, everyone. We're going back to it. Thank you all for uh, for um, participating. I appreciate everyone jumping in. And that certainly is not limited to people who agree with me. Again. Uh, Be kind uh, to everyone. Hashtag <laughs> Ellen. She's all about it. Sit next to George Bush. Just go watch it. What? Sit next to George Bush. <laughs> Julia, of course it includes you. All right. Ooh, Jeff Miller, that's a great question. Sausage, beans, or politics? I'm going to go with... Honestly, I don't mind talking about politics. So I'm going to go sausage, beans. All right, take it away, five foot. You made it your tag. Okay, my hand is green screen. Ah. That was the one that fell on the floor, so it's got a little pour on it. Okay. Hmm... It's a weird one. It tastes like it wanted to be pineapple almost. <laughs> Beans, the ultimate equalizer. Hmm. Hmm. How many are you doing? I think three. Honestly, it wasn't terrible. I, and I have no idea what it was. Was it earwax? Yeah. Wasn't it a white one? Yeah. Surprise. What's wrong with your earwax? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It just tasted like it tasted like um a little bit of like a little citrusy and then kind of sweet. Yeah, just like earwax. <laughs> Gross. Stop it. <laughs> Alright. Next one up. Let's do it. They're all just Okay, that's fine. Ah. Alright. Jeff, yeah, I kind of wanted it to be pineapple too. <laughs> this is what I mean. Every, even between the same flavor of bean, there's a lot of variation. Because I had an earwax one before that was pretty rough. This one tastes like banana, I think. Does that sound right? Yeah. It's like that weird, intense candy banana, though. <laughs> Jeff said, eat your wax upside down cake. And Jeff, you're grossing me out. So come on, man. Come on, my man. This one's not going down too easy, though. I'll get an extra bean? Why? Oh. Um, right. Okay, I'm ready now. Mmm. Oh. <laughs> it's vomit, which again, 
Again, the flavor is bad, but mostly it just really kicks up your gag reflex. This one's definitely worse than the last ones. <sighs> Come on. Come on. I hate this one. Uh, oh. Maybe I shouldn't give you this one because then you'll never. <sighs> oh, man. My eyes are watering. Oh, this sucks. That was some vom. That was some vom. Ugh. Get it out of there. Yeah, give me something. <laughs> give me give me a piece of cheese or something. <laughs> Ow. I just didn't, I just won't look. I mean, I can definitely tell it. Yeah. Lens. As much as I would like to, I feel that violates the uh, the spirit of it. Good lord, this is worse than toffee. It is really chewy. It's gonna pull out my fillings. You you have fillings? Yeah. I almost said like, oh, this one isn't bad, but the whole box is fine ones. I don't think I'm ever getting that. So I ordered I ordered one big box of good flavors and one big box of bad flavors and I was just going to mix them when I got them um, as far as I can tell I'm not getting that big old box of bad ones um, oof see it's ruining this one having had the last one I can't tell what it is it's, it's not one of the fruit ones buttered popcorn gotcha yeah it's a little it's weird it's got that like got a little bit of that kettle corn thing going yeah i'm about to shut down all right everyone oh boy Shocking my shoes. <laughs> jeff goes quick beat him again it's like a it's like a wwe match <laughs> give him the chair thanks jeff thanks for nothing jeff Y'all, oh, you're probably right. Cassa is probably trying to help me get the flavor out. Jeff, I'm sorry. I may have misjudged you. <laughs> if that was your intent, I appreciate it. Look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in a daze right now. I'm not actually in a daze. It's not as bad as all that. Although, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it on YouTube if I don't make it as bad as all that. If I don't go like, oh, man, oh, oh, and I start sweating and, uh, like, you know, genuinely have, like, a, a bucket that I have to use. Oh, I can't take it. And then I'll make all my thumbnails, just like my face, just going like, like Home Alone. I'm not doing it. Oh, no, 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 no. Go to the hot page right now. Go to the hot page right now and just look at the thumbnails. <laughs> Hashtag not my YouTube. <laughs> All right, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, man. 
Oh man, yes. So yeah, Jeff, that was my aim—a fifty-fifty mix. Which I actually, I think these are a fifty-fifty mix as well. But I just wanted a lot more of them, um, and so. Yeah, Jeff says I was hoping it would cover the flavor. I'm sorry. I'm all. I'm in a daze now. <laughs> it was lovely to spend the evening with you all. I hope you have a great night. I hope you have a great week. Uh, I'm going to be back with the great Gatsby on Tuesday, as I always am. That's that's a joke. I'm not always. Uh, I am, however, going to be back on Tuesday with Great Gatsby. Next Thursday, however, I am going to be um, I'm going to be uh, on a trip. I'm officiating a wedding, so you will have to forgive me and excuse me, but I will not be present for streaming uh, next week. Uh, so. No side, no, no Harry Potter next week. We'll be getting back to it the week after that. Um, I do hope that you can all uh, find a way to hang out without me. Um, the Discord is a great spot for that. Um, if I've got any time, I'll, I'll dodge in there next Thursday. And uh, uh, you can find that that link uh, either on my channel description or uh, in the description for this video. I hope, <laughs> Jeff. No, no. I'm just I'm addled. I've got I've got uh I've got bad beans on the brain. You you definitely come off as one of my favorites in chat. Yeah, Carrie's right. You you're all good. Don't you worry about it. The old the old give him the chair would have been funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff says I hope you guys have a much better two weeks. As do I. I hope everyone's weeks go much better than it sounds like this one has gone. Um I hope uh, everyone stays safe. I hope uh, all of you who are on the mend or with people who are on the mend, mend quickly. Um, I hope you all roll critical critical hits on your uh, your heal saves. <laughs> Whatever system you happen to be playing. All right. I love being here with you guys. Thanks for talking tonight. And uh, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.